Company, and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvin, with Mr. Brian Derry. Hey, Free Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Let's go give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's absolutely right. We certainly wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks all around the country and even anywhere. around the world, really. There you go, wherever you may be. <laughs> <laughs> You go ahead and give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Get your questions answered. we got plenty of time right now at the beginning of the show. Get your questions answered thoroughly for mm-hmm. you. That's right. And a lot of times folks will wait kind of towards the end of the program to call in, and we got to kind of rush the answer because right. we run out of time, so we don't have time to give them a thorough answer. If that ever happens to you, of course, you can always go to the website. That's right. And the address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is to take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. It'll get you to our site, and there's a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill it out and send it in. That's right. Now I'll get an answer right straight back to you. And we're going to our phone lines with Tracy. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning. I'm calling from Billings, Montana. Well, great. Hey. Around the country. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, I was delivering mail in mm-hmm. a 1998 CRV. Okay, sir. I'm driving 155 miles a day, six days a week. Okay. And it's due for timing belts. But with it runs great and everything, but with well, it's, it doesn't have very high miles. It's got two hundred and eight thousand. Okay, and so it is using some oil. And I guess I'm just thinking, since items for Honda seem to be so darn cheap, is it the, the timing belt for this thing is a bit expensive for the replacement? Would I be better off just trying to find a low mileage used engine? Well, even at two hundred thousand miles, driven the way this one's been driven, I would really doubt you got a lot of internal engine problems. Tracy, that thing has probably still got another two hundred thousand miles in it. I mean, a engine replacement not only is the part going to cost you considerably more, but the labor is going to be considerably more. Even if you do it yourself, the time required is going to be so much more. I think if it were me, I would probably just go ahead and put a time belt on, unless there's some serious problem. I mean, if it's burning five quarts of oil in a thousand miles obviously that's a major issue but it's burning just no, a little bit it's of oil. about it's about one and a half quarts in five thousand miles oh well that's that's, that's not, basically yeah. nothing yeah i mean new cars brand new cars 2014s if they burn a quart in a thousand they'll tell you that's normal okay then that answer leads me to another question if yes, you sir. could so i've replaced timing belts on a lot of different vehicles mm-hmm. mainly subarus and i got to where i was super quick at them mm-hmm. you know even when i did all the extra stuff like sealing up the oil pump a new water pump yes, cam seals, right. all that the crv looks like for that procedure is a little more involved special tools to hold the crank from turning and stuff yeah uh, not that, really i mean as long as okay. you mark everything before you take it off you're not gonna have much okay. trouble with it. it's pretty straightforward i mean we do them all, all right. day long i know the guys in the shop can do that job complete with cam seals crank seal water pump the coolant the whole bit in about four and a half hours okay well i'm looking at a, a factory service manual and they always to me let make it look a little more complicated yeah than it is they do all their they special do. equipment but i'll go ahead and tackle it then i believe you'd be good with it just set awesome. yourself. Thank you very much. Set yes, yourself sir. extra time to get it done because, like Lewis was saying, the guys in the shop, they do this day in, day out. They've gotten quick at it. So, well, I've got, I've got spares. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. That's great. All right. Have a good one. All right, Tracy. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, whether you're in Billings, Montana, or Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. That's it. Just got to get our time zone straight, and you can reach <laughs> us live and in person. Well, if you want to go to, say, iHeartRadio, the call letters for the station that broadcast our show are WBRP. That's Whiskey, Baker, Roger, Papa. 
And if you key that in, that will bring you to us. The the frequency is 107.3 in Baton Rouge, but that frequency gets reused across the state. So you do need yes. the call letters if you want to go to, say, iHeart and find us there. Now, if you go to Stitcher or if you go to iTunes or whatever, it's the Automotive Hour right. is the way you find it. That's the podcast. But the easiest way is to actually go to the website. Well, that's right. There's a little button down on the left-hand side, I believe, or is well, it the right Well, it's like a little side? stopwatch, and it's okay. right there on the podcast page, and it counts down the time to the next Automotive Hour. You can just look at that any time, and it'll tell you how long it's going to be until the next show comes on. Right. And when it's within one hour of the show, if you just click on that little watch, it'll bring you to an iHeart page, which will bring you to our station. Couldn't be any easier. That's right. It makes you not have to remember all that paraphernalia. <laughs> so. We were talking earlier this week. I was on the morning show, and they were uh-huh. asking what topics you were planning on talking about this week. And what I really want to discuss a little bit, of course, we'll take a question on any call you might have, but I get a lot of email from young people who are looking at the automotive industry as a possible career. career. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I thought we would talk just a little bit about that. Okay. How to get into the automotive industry, how to get training, how to get all the things. And that is not as easy a process as you might think it would be. Right. So several things. Now, we're going to talk about that a whole lot. We're going to give you some details on it, and we'll take your calls on any other topics as soon as we get back. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Booyah! Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back, and thanks for listening to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Automotive Tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? You know, just for the break, we're talking about young people, and I say young people. It doesn't have to be a young person. Right. People, people younger who, than us. Yeah. <laughs> almost everybody's younger than me. There you go. Folks who are interested in a career in the automotive service industry. Correct. And traditionally, these were folks who maybe didn't do real well in school. And they said, well, you're probably not cut out for college, so we're going to push you into a trade. Right. And that has changed 180 degrees now in that the requirements to be a good diagnostic auto tech probably equal or exceed those to be an engineer. And that's the key word diagnostic tech right i mean any do-it-yourselfer can change his own oil things things like that but when you start getting into diagnostics then you really have to have some training well and what happens so much is that young people decide well i'm going to become an auto tech and they think well just because i changed my oil and i can change an alternator on a car i'm just going to go out and first shop's going to just scoop me up and everything's going to be great right and you may or may not get a job, but you're probably not going to be in a job where you're making a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Parts changers, as they call them, 
you can expect to start out somewhere around twenty thousand a year, maybe, and go up to maybe twenty five, thirty thousand a year, and that's going to be pretty much a ceiling for you, which is not real great. Right. But now, as you start to gain experience and start to learn diagnostic abilities, where you can go in and diagnose electronic problems, this is an entire different level of profession. And these guys are the guys making sixty, seventy, eighty, maybe a hundred thousand dollars a year. Correct. And they're in extremely, extremely high demand. You could probably put 20,000 of these guys to work tomorrow if they existed. The problem is they just aren't that many of them around because of the, I guess, the archaic way the industry's been operated over the past where nobody wanted to own up and do any training. Mm -hmm. Even the state doesn't have very many state-funded colleges that teach automotive technology. Well, even in high school. That's the high where, school classes are where most of these guys started, and those classes have gone away. A lot of them have. They've cut the funding, which I think is a disservice, but that's just the way it is. They've cut all the funding on these different programs, so a lot of the programs have closed down. Uh-huh. So it's very, very hard for a young person who's interested to get the education he needs. Now, there are some really great high school programs around the country. There's not a huge number of them in the Baton Rouge area, although there are probably... I think there's at least one or two left. Right. There are some regional colleges around the country that do an excellent job. Yes, they do. And there are some private universities out there that do a pretty good job. So you can go that route. That is a way to go. Now, you got to remember, when you get into a private university, you're paying your own way. So that's going to be a fairly expensive way to get an education. Yep. But, you know, if you like say... If that's what you want to do, I well, mean... Well, if you think... If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. <laughs> so it is one way to go. Now, there are some alternative ways that a young person might try. The first one that comes to mind is you can join the military. Now, Correct. the military has absolutely wonderful training on just about any topic you could ever imagine. The advantage is they're not expecting you to turn a profit. It's not Correct. like when you go to work in a shop and they expect you to start carrying your own weight real quick. In the military, they can afford to have a guy sit there and take classes pretty much from now on as long as he gets the skills that he needs. Now, of course, the downside is you may get deployed to a foreign country. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the price you're paying for the education. That's right. You may get deployed to a combat zone. That's just the, the price you have to pay, and that's a whole other set of uh, issues. But if that is in your realm of things you don't mind possibly having to do, that is one way to get an excellent education and to get a lot of practical experience because the military uses pretty much every type of wheel vehicle that there is. Sure, and they're going to put you in, into working on each and every one of them. Well, we think of tanks and things like that, planes and all that, but they also have a lot of just cars, staff sure. cars, officers' cars, what have you, and you can get into just about working on anything you want to do. You can learn air conditioning and refrigeration. You can learn electronics. You can learn diagnosis. You can learn anything you want. When you come out, you're going to have an education. Now, you're going to need to get some practical experience in the field, but you're going to be pretty much ready to step in. Uh-huh. Now, I post it on a forum that I go to with a lot of other automotive shops and just kind of ask the question, how did you get into the industry? And lots of people came up with different things. Oh, I'm sure. Some pretty creative things. There's actually a lady in California who owns her own shop now. Okay. And what she said is that she started buying old used cars that were really bad condition that she could buy really cheap. Right. Fixing them up herself. Learning as she goes. Learning as she goes. And like she said, if I messed up, it was no big deal. I could start over again. When I got through with the car, I would sell it to get my money back. Then I would buy another one. And she did that on several cars until she gained the experience she needed. She actually accumulated enough money 
that eventually she started her own shop. Okay. And that's one another one way, way that you right. might go. Another gentleman, I thought it was kind of funny, but he said that he couldn't get a job because he didn't have any experience, so he just went to a good shop that he wanted to work at. He offered to just work for free. He said, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll sweep the floors. I'll, right. So he couldn't hardly turn that down. So he says, after about three or four months, he finally got tired of seeing him around. He hired him. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I figure it's just the cost of sure. learning and started him out changing all and mountain Doing tires. Doing easy things. Of course, now he owns the shop. Right. And then that's been a number of years, but that's another possible way. So if you want to get an education, you can. Now, if you're pretty sharp, what you may do is go out, interview with a good quality shop, and you will find a good quality shop the same way you find a good quality shop to have your car repaired. And that is ask other people in the industry. Go around to parts stores and say, hey, who's the best shop in town? Right. Who is the number one guy? Because that's who I want to talk to. Another thing is the tool trucks, like the Matco and the uh-huh. Mac and the Snap-on guys. Those right. guys go to just about every shop in the town. Right. And they speak with a lot of technicians. They know who's happening, know who's not happening, know who's treated well, who's not treated well. And they probably know a lot about the quality of the work, about the tools that are bought. Mm-hmm. So you might look for a tool salesman and just ask him, hey, who's the best guy in town? Because if you're going to learn, you want to learn from the best. Oh, definitely. And if you walk in and ask them, hey, are you hiring? Don't be surprised if they tell you no, because the best shops may be fully staffed. Sure. I know at Agco, we hold on to our crew very, very well. Most of our folks have been there for years and years and years, and we don't get openings that often. However, if you want to come put an application in, we will take an application, and when an opening does come available, then we'll we will go look through at and that. review them. Yeah, and then you may get a job that way. If not, if nothing else, if you can't get on with the shop you want, ask them who might be hiring. They may know someone. Right. You have to be willing to start out at the bottom. You're not going to step in making $100,000 a year. It's just not going to happen. And you can start out doing minor jobs because no one is going to trust you no matter how good you are. You're going to have to prove yourself. Oh, definitely. So you're going to serve an internship of anywhere from probably six months to six years, depending on how fast you learn. A lot of dealerships now I know have team systems where they may actually put you as part of a team. Okay. You're going to be low man on the totem pole. So you're going to get all the oil changes and the that's stuff right. that nobody else wants to do. But you're working side by side with an A-Tech. And you're learning from him. And if you are smart, you're going to sit there and you're going to watch this guy. Right. Ask and questions. you're going to ask him, why did you do that? How do you know that? And you're going to learn. You're going to learn real fast. And if you're smart, you're going to learn even faster. Now, once you start to gain ability... And if you're a hard worker and you're there every single day on time, that will not go unnoticed. There right. is no employer in the world who's going to overlook those tendencies because they're rare and they're hard to come by. So you're going to get scooped up. You're going to get promoted pretty fast. Right. You may be a team leader with your own team for long. That's right. And then from there, you may want to move on to maybe an independent shop where you could make a salary rather than on commission, which is a little bit better way of being paid. Right. And from there, who knows, one day you may decide to open your own shop. And so... Those are the ways you have to go about it. Another advantage to getting into a team is that sometimes they have the rudimentary tools you'll need to get started. If you're very fortunate and you find a really nice team leader, he may let you work out of his box if uh-huh. you don't have tools. Now, that's a real that's privilege. A rare, yeah. It's rare. It's a real privilege. So that's something you have to really appreciate and you have to really take extra responsibility. That's right, because there's thousands of dollars of tools and equipment inside that toolbox of his. Well, and it could, could very well be anywhere from ten to to up to $100,000 in, in tools, depending on how long he's been in the business, how well equipped he is. Certainly, it's going to take anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand dollars worth of basic tools. Sure, just to get started, to be yeah proficient at what you do. 
So a lot of shops today will uh, finance these for you. Some of the tool trucks will finance them for you at no interest. Right. So there are ways to do it. It's one of those things where you have to be a little more determined to get into than some other fields. And if you want to be an accountant, well, you can go get a student loan, you can go to college, and when you come out, you can get on with a firm and you can serve your internship, and you can move on. And it, maybe it's just a little bit straightforward path than it is in the automotive business. Right. And if you're cut out to be an accountant, that's great. But a lot of people just don't like sitting in an office, adding up numbers. Some people like working with their hands. They uh-huh. like the feeling of accomplishing things. They like doing things and, and solving right. problems. They take, like the challenge, the high-tech aspect of it. Take broken things and fix them. That's Well, that's right. And you can generally spot that even in a child, the four-year-old who takes the wheels off his bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of kid who's probably cut out to be a, an automotive tech. Uh-huh. He's just He wants to know how this works. Not only that it works or how much fun I have, but he wants to know how does this work. Right. Why does it work? That's what he wants to know. And that's what gives him the ability to fix things that other people can't, can't imagine. Fix. Yeah. Right. And most people find that type of thing very, very rewarding. I enjoy framework. Yeah. Because you can take a, a vehicle that's non-functionable. It's all mm-hmm. bent up. Mm-hmm. When you get done, it's straight. It works like it's designed to work. Mm-hmm. And there's a big accomplishment there. Well, that's right. It may take three or four days to straighten it out. But once you do, you can actually look back and say, wow, you know, I did that. I did this. That's right. <laughs> I did this. And each person tends to gravitate towards a certain sure. specialty within the field. And the better shops are going to allow each tech to specialize, and they're going to feed that type of work to that person. Correct. You know, like Jeff at the shop loves involved diagnosis. He likes to get on a problem that no one else can solve. And he will sit there, and he will just oh, analyze and analyze and analyze until he gets it. Right. Now, that would drive some people berserk. It would. And other people just couldn't do it no matter how much time you give them. But he's very good at that. He's right. very analytical. He analyzes every possibility, and he comes up with a solution. So the really tough diagnosis will hand off to him. Other guys are going to enjoy air conditioning and refrigeration. That's just what they like to do. Mm-hmm. Other guys may like taking an engine out, putting it back in, doing big repair. Right. Uh, other guys are going to enjoy maybe working under the dash or working inside of a door with well, windows and small, tiny stuff. And the, the tedious activities and rebuilding a transmission. Mm-hmm. That's something most people don't even want to fathom is taking a transmission apart especially when you walk back there and you see one apart on a bench, mm-hmm. it covers the entire bench. Oh, yeah. I mean, parts everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds of parts, and each one has a purpose. Each little spring, it looks exactly alike, has a different tension. Exactly. And if you have someone like Josh Wilson at the shop, he loves that. Of course, Josh has probably been working in a transmission shop. Since he was, what, 10 eight, years ten old? Year, yeah. yeah. Harvey had him cleaning parts when he was 10 years old. There you go. So now he's 40, he's got 30 years' experience doing that, and right. that is what he likes. That is what he gravitates towards. He's very fast at it. He's very good at it. He's very thorough at it. So naturally, all of the transmission work gets funneled over to him. Correct. Now, Paul Michael, his brother, is also good at that, but he's also cross-trained and enjoys other types of work. Uh-huh. So the point is, because you become an automotive technician now, if you go to work in a dealership, you may be expected to be a general line technician. That's where you do a little bit of everything. Correct. And you could start out that way, and then you say, well, you know, I really like doing this. Well, then you may look for a specialty shop that That's, does that type of work. That way you can specialize, hone your skills, become the best there is at the one thing that you really enjoy doing the most. Right, and when problem of that quality occurs... Mm-hmm. Your name is the first one that comes up, and this guy can fix it. Well, that's right, and I don't remember who it was that said, but the quality of a person's life will always be in direct proportion to his commitment to excellence, uh-huh. regardless of his chosen field of endeavor. 
And that is never more true than in the automotive business. If you are excellent at what you do, you're going to have a very good life. Sure. You are going to rise right to the top of your field because there's so few people who are going to make that commitment. And when I mean excellent, I mean excellent technically at the work you do, but also excellent in your appearance. In other words, you don't walk around with a dirty baseball cap on. Shirt tails shirt hanging, tail out. hanging out. Yeah, pants holding down. Right. You look like a professional. You act like a professional. You are at work every single day early. You right. give a little bit extra. You are going to rise to the top of your field very, very quickly. And when you do, you know, the big bucks are going to follow. Right. That's, Everyone's going to notice. That Everybody's going to notice. It can't go unnoticed. Employers notice people who show up early. They notice people who give a little extra. They always do because so few people do that. Exactly. Hey, we got to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it cost you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291 6901. Got all three lines wide open. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's it. Get you started, get you stopped. Whatever you might need. Whatever you might need. <laughs> <laughs> Talking during the break uh-huh. about some of the new headlights and stuff that are on cars. And when people buy a new car, a lot of times they'll, wow, look at that. That's, ain't that cool? You know, those nice blue uh-huh. headlights, boy, they're really, really bright, and you can see good. And, I mean, the, the ones with the little round circles in there, they right. kind of form a little string around. looks very, very cool. But when those do burn out, which they do burn out pretty frequently they do. because they're burning at a very high intensity, those are absolutely shockingly expensive to repair. They are. Replace. They are because a lot of times when that bulb burns out, it actually takes the module that runs it mm-hmm. out also. Very often. And, yeah. you know, those headlights, I think some of them from the dealers are about $200 a, a bulb. A, just the bulb. at all unusual to see a headlight bulb that costs 200 to $250 now. That's crazy. In fact, the cheap ones are $100. Yeah. Now, I don't know why those are so much better than the ones that used to cost $4 or $5, <laughs> but, you know, that's just the world we live in. Right. And that is bad enough. However, the little... Module, module behind it called an igniter or a transformer all right can be five to seven hundred dollars per side exactly and those go out pretty frequently as well and then the labor to get to them well a lot of good a, point a lot of them you have to take the bumper exactly. off the car you got to take the bumper off then you got to unbolt the headlight assembly take it out put it on the bench disassemble it change all the pieces reassemble put it back in the vehicle and then put the bumper cover back on that's so you, exactly right you run the risk of scratching the paint mm-hmm of the bumper cover, but the clips could break. There's all kind of things well, that and just could time, add to the bill. 
time involved because most people do not have the wherewithal to take the bumper off their own car. They just right. don't have the skills. They don't have the tools. They don't have the equipment. They don't have the place to do it. So you're probably going to have to take it to a shop. I know a lot of the Acura and Infinity vehicles use those type of headlights. Mm-hmm. And one bulb will be out on one side, and it's about two and a half hours to pull the bumper and all off. So you always ask, do you want to go ahead and change one on the other side? Because probably within the next six months, it's going to go out. And then all that has and to come back apart again. that's your option, but it all has to come back apart again. Well, let's say he needs two bulbs, the labor to change, and two igniters. He may be up to $2,000 for two headlights. Right. Which is a whole, whole lot of cheese in my sure. Figuring, sure. <laughs> in my estimation. Some of those LED lights are even more expensive than that. That's the ones with the little balls. Kind of like the string. Yeah, it looks like bulb. a little string of bulbs across uh-huh. there. Yeah, those just the parts may be over a thousand dollars per side, and I know they look cool. Oh, that, and yeah. I know the car looks cool, and I know it smells good and all that. But just remember, when you buy it, that one day this is going to go out. Right, and that's just part of the technology that's on that car. Just one little thing. One little thing. Back when cars first came out, I guess the first car probably didn't even have a headlight on it, and somebody decided, "Hey, we want to ride around at night." At night, so, yeah. I think the first ones had a brass light. Many of them used an acetylene light you okay. would take calcium carbonate pellets and drop it into water which would produce acetylene gas correct and the acetylene would burn and it would suck air at the bottom which would produce a white light which would real, real bright light yeah bright white light which would uh, make the headlight had a reflector and all in there of course those are probably worth a thousand bucks now but <laughs> at, or, or more if yeah you, if, if you, you could, could find, find one exactly but somebody get it hanging on their wall put it in right. the man cave you know right but at the time they probably cost about three bucks maybe not even that that's right Somewhere along the line, they came out with electric lights, and it was just a little filament bulb, and they probably cost $0.50, cents, $0.75, cents, took mm-hmm. about two minutes to change. For a long, long time, we had the seal beam bulbs. At first, right. they were round. They had the big round ones, and that fit one bulb fit, fit every car. Right. I those were those. 3 or $4, pretty much lasted forever, took about 10 minutes to change. Yeah, hardly then, ever change them unless they got a rock chip in them right. or they got damaged somehow. Right, somebody invented the big square ones. They said, well, square is cooler than round, so let's so make let's that. Change, yeah, so let's well, start changing Well, those were about stuff. 7 or 8 bucks. Well, then somebody says, well, if one is cool, two's got to be even cooler, so they can't have <laughs> two little bit of square ones. Well, those cost about 15 bucks a piece. Sure. <laughs> and then on and on and on we went. And nowadays, of course, most of the headlight, what you're looking at is a polycarbonate plastic assembly. Sure. The bulb is inside of it. Accessible and, from the back. Right. Initially, it was just a little replaceable halogen, <laughs> bulb, halogen bulb. And you could replace that bulb. And they cost about $20. And they weren't right. too difficult to change. And that was pretty good. But the, then the they, biggest, Well, the biggest part of that assembly was the, the carbonate. The polycarbonate headlight covers right. would start fading out and start turning Turn yellow. yellow, and they still and have that problem. The light would wouldn't couldn't get through it as good, so the lights would dim down. So, mm-hmm. like you say, they still have that problem, but they have come out with a polish now where you can actually sand them and polish them and get some of that back. Right, you go in with a very 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 fine emery paper and sand it smooth because what it is, it's little tiny cracks in the surface of that plastic. Right, and little cracks fill with dirt, and they start turning yellow. So then it dulls the headlight and course you go down and buy two new headlights but when you go price them you're gonna find gonna out they're anywhere from about 250 to 500 dollars a side correct so that's generally not an option for a lot of folks but if you go in very very carefully and i have an article on my website that actually shows you step by step by step how to do this okay you go in and you wet sand that with a very very fine emery and you take the polish and if you have a buffing machine it makes it far far easier right if not you could do it by hand it's just gonna take all whole weekend of rubbing you can have a big old warm muscle built up by the time you get done 
but you can polish that back smooth, and they're going to come out looking almost like new. Right. And they're going to last for a long time until they crack again, and then you have to go in and sand them and do it again. Eventually, you may end up having to actually replace them, but that's just because it is a plastic material. One time, they were all glass. and Yeah, your old seal beams and everything were right, glass. You didn't have that problem. Glass is great because it's durable and it doesn't discolor, but if a rock hits, it breaks. Correct. Whereas the plastic can generally deflect a, right, it'll bounce a off. small light, right. a small uh, rock or pebble or whatever. Now, something big enough hits it to break, and it will well, yeah. break the glass anyway. So exactly. Kind of a moot point. There's a handful of the fancy-shaped ones that are glass now, but those are extremely expensive. Right. And they're generally on the real high-end cars. Some of the European cars, I think, still uh, have still glass. use that. But the reason they use the polycarbonate plastic is, number one, it's cheaper. Number two, it's much, much lighter. Number three, they can shape it into an almost endless configuration of shapes. Correct. So they can make that headlight look really cool. They can Change, blend they it. Into got a the, lot of lot of different design now they can do with the front end. Now that they can, and like you said, mold those headlights and mold that plastic front bumper, and they got all kind of designs they can can pull off now with that. Well, that's right. It makes it look really, really cool. And of course, cool looks are what sell cars. I guess not what it's going to cost to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> That's for a fact. They don't tell you that when you buy it. No, no. But we look at the world, I guess, from a little bit different standpoint sure. from the average person who might be buying a car. And many times I come across as very negative towards the newer cars, and I don't mean to be that way. My thought is that if you want a new car, and a new car is going to make you happy, and you got the money to buy it, God bless you, buy a new car. By all means. By all means, get what you want. Because right. if that's what makes you happy, there's no reason not to do it. No reason to be scared of it. It's just not going to be like the old cars were that we had years and years ago where you could buy a car, and if you took pretty good care of it, you could expect it to probably last 200,000, 250,000 miles with very little cost. And it was Well, it was reasonable to repair. Mm -hmm. The technology wasn't as it is today, so the things didn't cost as much to, to actually have them repaired. Well, that's right, because nowadays with the cost of the technology they're putting into the cars, it just gets to a point where it's really not practical to try to repair the car any longer. For instance, let's say you buy a hybrid. Okay. And I know that sounds cool to a lot of folks. It gets good gas mileage. But if you consider how much more you're paying up front and compare that to a gasoline model, you're probably not ever going to save enough on gas right there just to pay for the additional price Cost. you paid up front. Uh -huh. But that's only a small part of it. You've got some very, very expensive technology. Very complex technology. Well, for one thing, you've got a great big battery that may cost anywhere from 1500 to $3,000 to replace. And, and it's got to be replaced sometime. Right. You know how batteries are. They're not going to last forever. Not going to last forever. It's going to last between 6 and 10 years. So you've got, say, an 8-year-old car, and it needs a $3,000 battery. Right. Well, that's a pretty big consideration. There's also the motor in it, the hybrid motor, which generally serves as the hybrid motor, the starter, and the alternator. It's all one assembly. And sometimes it's part of the transmission or right. transaxle. Transaxle assembly. That component costs around $12,000 on a Prius. Uh-huh. So, again, let's say you've got a 10-year-old Prius you're very happy with it, and the starter goes out. Now what? Well, that's 12 Gs. Exactly. Excluding labor. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it is not going to be a repairable unit at that point. And all cars are kind of going that way. When you look at some of the new cars with the 8-speed, 9-speed, even 10-speed automatic transmissions, Right. 
that's very, very cool, and they do help with emissions because they keep the engine RPM within a very narrow range so they can, they can optimize emissions. So that's all great. But when the car gets seven, eight years old, you get 120, 130,000 miles and transmission goes out, you're probably looking anywhere from seven, eight thousand dollars. Not like that old four speed transmission that you could rebuild for $2,500. Exactly. And with the way maintenance items are being listed nowadays, mm-hmm. they're being cut way, way back. Well, that's right. Because and the manufacturer will tell you, well, you don't need to service that. It's exactly. You don't ever have to service it. Well, no, you don't if you're going to throw it away when you get to 100,000 miles. Right. And where those maintenance recommendations come from is that the manufacturers are rated on how much maintenance their vehicles are going to require. Right. Guys like Consumer Reports go through the maintenance schedule and say, well, this car requires less maintenance than this one, so it must be a better car. And they give them ratings based on that. Okay. So they're trying to cut the maintenance to the absolute minimum level. And they tell the engineer, okay, this car needs to make 100,000 miles. That's the design life. That's well, All it has to do is 100,000 miles. Correct. At that point, we're going to throw it away or crush it. Okay, well, yeah, you could do this. Sure. And what they do is they design it to last 100,000 miles. They'll put a synthetic fluid in there and say, yeah, it can do that. And it can. It can yeah. go 100,000 miles if you're going to throw it away at the end of that period. The problem is when you get to 100,000 miles, you're probably not through paying for the car. <laughs> exactly. You really decide, hey, I really don't have another 40,000 to throw down on another car, so I'd like to get a little more life, and now it's too late. Right. You went in with the intent on getting rid of it at that time, but when it time comes... You step back and look, well, I'm, I'm almost upside down in this car well, still. Yeah. Well, I paid 40 k Now it's worth ten. so I got to come up with $30,000 more to get another car. I right. don't have 30000 It's only got 100,000 miles on it. But what you don't remember is you followed that maintenance schedule, which said do nothing. Well, at this point, you can yeah. start bringing it in real, real frequently because right. things are going to start breaking at an unprecedented pace. Not only that, but the cost of repairing these things is just astronomically higher than it was just a very few years right. ago right we've seen that yeah they've just accelerated just beyond all reason hey we got to take our last quick little break and we'll be right back with more in the automotive hour And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about 15000 That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alderson from AGCO Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. If you got a question about your car, now's the time. If not, you're going to have to wait an entire week before you can get it in. That's right. We got a few minutes left, so now's a great time. Plenty. Plenty. <laughs> <laughs> Should you happen to think of something off the air after we go off the air today, right. or maybe next week during the week at midnight, mm-hmm. you can always send Louis an email, and he'll get your questions answered and write back to you. That's right. Long as it's not between eight and five and 
At night. <laughs> right. <laughs> the address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill it out and send it in, and we'll get your answer back to you. That's right. Of course, Agco stands for Altazan's Garage Company. That's an easy way to remember it, and it's Agco Auto, all one word, no spaces, no slots, no nothing else. That'll get you to it. Put a .com on the end of there, and that'll get right on to us. Lots and lots of things you can see while you're on that site. We have a whole section on detailed topics, which pretty much everything we talk about on the show is covered there as well. Correct. So if you hear something and you're like, well, what was he talking about or, or whatever, just go to the site, search for that, and you're probably going to find a detailed topic on that because right. almost everything we talk about on the show, I add to the site as a detailed topic. And the detailed topic is a full article on a certain topic. Right. Those will generally run anywhere from 500 to 1,000 words with illustrations, and it'll cover things we talk about in detail for instance that we're talking today about young folks who may want to get a job in the automotive industry well if you look on the site this morning there's going to be a detailed topic on that and it kind of recaps everything we talked about and a few things we didn't talk about there you go so you might want to go in there and peruse around see just read about it. that there's <laughs> also lots of you know, articles that cover problems in the industry pattern failures that we see and things like that so uh-huh. kind of prevent problems we call those happy meals yeah that's right <laughs> absolutely right and of course you can always send us an email if you have a question that you don't see covered on the site now we'll get a personal answer right back right you. and we have a few of those here today it's a gentleman named mr howard from maricopa county arizona actually mm-hmm. said he was having trouble with his envoy he can't get in the couldn't get in the driver's door right said the key wouldn't work would turn but it wouldn't open the door. the door right and he said sometimes the remote wouldn't work, so he actually had a new key made mm-hmm. got a new remote and he's still having trouble right those vehicles GM was bad about the door actuators right. going bad. The actuator is basically a little motor, and on that particular one, I think it's part of the door latch assembly. Correct. And it's when it gets the signal from the key fob, goes to a transmitter. Transmitter grounds a relay through the body control module. The relay runs this little motor, which cranks that mechanism up and down, which locks and unlocks which the door. Which manually locks and unlocks the door. Right. right, and when the actuator goes bad... Sometimes the key will no longer work because it jams it up or the link may fall off and the key fob may not work as well. Right. Uh, a lot of those have a, a metal rod, but it's a metal rod in a metal bracket and with a plastic keeper. Yeah, a retainer. And those little keepers or retainers, if you want, they will break and then the rod will fall off. That's right. And as mm-hmm. long as the key goes in and turns, right. there's nothing wrong with the key. The key's working. Right. The key's doing its job. Mm-hmm. Tumblers are all working. But if the key goes in, it will not turn. Then you may have a key tumbler cylinder right. issue. So you just have to be able to isolate between the two. But if the key turns, like I said, the lock is okay. It's just not connected to the actuator latch assembly. Correct. So you have to go into the door, and when you replace the actuator, you can replace the little clip fixes both problems. And going into that door is a, a bear all its own. <laughs> it is. I mean... And there's a detailed topic on the website just about removing door panels because they are so different one to another, and they are so complex so you can go on the website, look that up, and then that way you'll feel comfortable doing it. Or you can just take it to a shop and have them go in and do it. It's not a very expensive thing. I think it's about an hour to an hour and a half's labor to pull it apart and replace the actuator. Uh-huh. And I don't know what the price of the actuator is. Being General Motors, I'm sure it's expensive. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. You know how all that goes on, That's right. on vehicles. I got another email here from uh, Mr. Camp in Georgia. said he's got a, a Yukon, and he was going to get OEM brake pads for it. Right. So he was going to go to the dealer and buy them. Well, he was wondering how he would know he's getting the original equipment part. Because you got to watch. A lot of times a dealer will sell you. They've got more than one line of parts. What happens is that the parts stores come out with a cheap line of brake pads. And so people shop price and they go buy the cheap pads. 
Well, the manufacturers, we know we're losing a lot of sales here because people get, there's a market for cheap pads. So what it is, they came out with a second line of cheap pads, and they say, hey, if you want cheap pads, we'll sell you cheap pads. But you got to watch because a lot of dealerships have actually copped the attitude that, hey, all we're going to sell is cheap pads. Right. So you go to the dealership, you're assuming you're getting the original equipment pad, and you're not. You're getting a cheap second line pad, which is really not a lot better than going to a parts store and buying I know General Motors does that. Ford does that. Even Toyota has come up with a second line have of they pads now. now. Yeah. Oh, wow. So when you go in, you have to ask for the original equipment pad. Say, I want an OEM pad. That's original equipment manufacturer. Uh-huh. Or I want the original pad. Another trick is when you go into a dealership to order any part, do not walk in and tell them I've got a 2008 model Chevy Silverado 1500. Go in and give them the VIN number. All the information they need is in that VIN number. Right. And they key that VIN number in. That will reference to a file to get you the exactly correct part for your vehicle. If you don't give them the type of vehicle, they are forced to do that. People being what people are, it's 17 digits. It's kind of hard to key in. So a lot of times they'll just shoot from the hip. Oh, yeah, I know what that takes. And Uh they're going to give you the wrong part. Right. Or they'll give you a part that looks the same that's a little bit different. So what you want to do is don't even tell them what kind of vehicle it is. If they ask you what kind of car it is, you got the VIN number, you tell me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and if they tell you, well, yeah, that's a such and such and such, and it's right, well, then you know they've at least keyed in the VIN number. The odds of you getting the correct part just went up about 1,000%. Exactly. Because you can get the wrong part. I have seen parts that looked almost identical but were slightly different and did not function correctly because it was the wrong option. Mm-hmm. So I always give them the VIN number. I never and, give them the type of vehicle that I've got. And options being what they are, you could have an option on your car you don't even know about. There's actually a service tag somewhere on a GM vehicle. I think they all have it, but I know I'm real familiar with GM tags. Right. There's a three-digit code for everything on that vehicle. Right. And less and less are they using those because they've all gone to the VIN system uh-huh. now. But we had a guy come in a while back who had changed his body control module and his something i forgot what it was did not work okay and come to find out the body module he had gotten was the exact right one it was the right one for the model but it was for one without the feature he needed gotcha because he didn't give him the vin number and he had to take it back out i don't know if he ever got his money back on or not but he had to buy another body control module because he had the wrong one and that right. one had already been programmed so he'd wasted all his time all his money all his programming and everything else and he still didn't have the problem fixed because someone gave him the wrong part exactly We've got another email here from Teresa in Ohio, has a Mark 8, I think, mm-hmm. and she was asking about age of her tires. Said she right. looked on there and couldn't find the date on them. Well, right. She had looked on the website and saw how you read the date, and she says this one does not have those numbers on it. Mm-hmm. And what you got to remember, that DOT code is on both sides of the tire. Correct. It gives the manufacturer, it gives the plant the tire was built in and all that. But the date code may only be on one side of the tire. And that's the key. May. Right. Some manufacturers put them on both. Some only put them on one. Right. And I know uh, Michelin usually puts it on the white letter side if the tire has a white letter. Well, they're assuming that's the side that will be mounted out. Correct. Let's say you buy a set of tires and you had black letters on yours and all they had in stock was white letters. They may have turned the white letters in. Exactly. So now the date code is turned in. Correct. And you can't readily see it. So what you're going to have to do is either take the tire off of the car to see it, or you're going to have to crawl in the car and look at the back side. With a flashlight and try to find it. Right. But it will be the last four digits. The first two will be the month. The last two will be the year. Correct. For instance, if it says 11-14, that is the 11th week of 2014. Right. That's the way you read the code. The other side of the tire will have all the same DOT codes, but those last four digits won't be on there. 
Very, very old tires are going to have a three-digit code because the first two were the week and last was the year. For instance, right. if you had 12-9, it would have been the 12th week of 1999. I'm sorry. Yeah. Any tire that old shouldn't be on a car anyway. Exactly. Yeah, because in 2000, they went to a four-digit four code. Right. So if you've got a three-digit code, those tires definitely do not belong on the car. <laughs> exactly. And it's hard to tell just by looking at a tire because a tire that hasn't gone very far Still has a lot of tread left. Oh, it may on look it. like brand new. Exactly. We've That's a particular problem on motorhomes. Motorhomes, trailers, mm-hmm. things that don't move, vintage cars that don't go out very often. That's right. Things like that. And what happens? That tire starts to break down internally. You get out on the interstate. You get it up to temperature. Let's say you've got an old car that you drive once a year. Maybe take it to cruising coast once a year. Uh huh. And it sits the rest of the time. The right. tires are nine years old. You just forgot about them. They still look like brand new because they probably don't have two or three thousand miles on them. Right. You haul down to Biloxi uh, on the interstate, hit on I-10, that tire gets hot, comes apart, tears all that beautiful paint up on the side of your car, maybe wrecks least. your car and tears you up Exactly, because the old tire was old. Six years, most experts say, is the life of a tire. Correct. So if your tires are over six years old, don't look at the rubber. Don't look at how much is remaining. Look Replace for the, the date. tire. Look, look for the date. Date. Right. The dates will tell you. Look at both sides of the tire. Correct. So that's the way you handle that little problem. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, we are just about out of time. Like, tell everybody how much we thank them for listening today and every day. Sure. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and get some more people listening because we enjoy people listening to our show. That's right. And if you go to iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or any of the rebroadcast service, most of them will have a place where you can add a written review. Okay. And we really, really appreciate it when you do that. I know it takes time. I know it's inconvenient. But you enjoy the show. You're getting something out of it. We don't get paid to do this. The only reward we get is the written reviews that we get to read and know that we're doing some good. Right. Now, Not I'll... only that, but it moves us up in the rating. Exactly. And that way, more folks will get to re- listen to the show. It's easier to find. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I already did that, didn't I? <laughs> I did. <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. <laughs>